In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Matt Chulley and this is Politics Without the Boring Bits. Definitely no boring bits in politics right now, particularly if you're a big fan of Commons Procedure. More on that in a moment. And our big thing today, how confident are you that I'm me and not an AI fake? As the technology gets more sophisticated, how do you verify your voice with a bank with friends, with family, to stop you being ripped off. We've been using some of the technology and we'll try and get some advice so that you don't end up out of pocket. In The Columnist, it's Manveen Rana and Matthew Paris asking, how long can Lindsay Hoyle survive as common speaker? And if you like what you hear on the podcast, don't forget you can join me for Politics Without the Boring Bits live on Times Radio. Listen for free on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. That's Politics Without the Boring Bits, weekdays from 10. And then you can take the... And I wish to respond to a point of order raised by a senior parliamentarian who called me last night asking me to distance myself from the MP for Chorley. Don't touch the lathe. Yes, last night all the kids tried to touch the lathe and the woodwork teacher lost control of the class. If you were trying to make sense of what happened in the Commons, it's actually incredibly easy and straightforward. First, most of what happens in the Commons is decided by the government. 20 days, though, are set aside for opposition parties, including 17 days for Labour and three for the smaller parties. Yesterday was the SNP's day, and they have been leading calls for a ceasefire in Gaza following the Israeli bombardment in response to the Hamas terror attack. Now, if you're being cynical, you might note that the SNP are under huge pressure from Labour in a number of Scottish seats, in particular in Glasgow and Edinburgh, where there are large Muslim populations pushing for a tougher line against Israel. But I'm not a cynic, so I won't do that. It being an SNP opposition day, they expect their motion to be voted on. Convention says the government amendment also gets called. But that would have meant Labour MPs who wanted to back a ceasefire would vote for the SNP motion, which went further than Keir Starmer's position. So, before it all kicked off, Common Speaker Lindsay Hoyle had a totally normal meeting with Keir Starmer and then unusually agreed to call Labour's amendment as well, allowing Keir Starmer to tell his MPs to vote for that instead of anyone else's. You see? I told you it was easy. And then 
all hell broke loose, with the SNP and Tories walking out of the Commons in protest. But remember, they were not cross about missing out on calling for a ceasefire, but about missing out on making life difficult for Keir Starmer. Now, dozens of MPs are calling for Lindsay Hoyle to go. Some are calling it Just Stop Hoyle. Early day motions are being signed. Procedure committees are being convened. High horses are being mounted. And as a minor aside, the war in Gaza continues. Manveen Rana and someone called Matthew on Times Radio. And we say hello to Manveen Rana, host of the Stories of Our Times podcast. Hello, Manveen. Hello. Now, Manveen, I'm sorry to say that this week's Matthew, uh, Matthew Paris, is very disappointed yes. you're not here. Yeah, you, you usually bring donuts I'm so in. sorry. I know, I know, Matthew. I, I can't apologise enough. I will make up for it, I promise. <laughs> this is how... Uh, next time I'm in, I'll, I'll, I'll bake a cake. We talk about uh, Lindsay Hoyle losing the confidence yeah. of his colleagues. Man, I know, it's gone. It's we're, gone. We're, we're, we're tabling motions against you as we speak. <laughs> Your failure to turn up with a box of cake. <laughs> I'm uh, so sorry. You've lost the room. You've lost the room. I promise I'll make up for it. <laughs> Right, so uh, at this exact moment, 10.40 on Thursday morning, 57 MPs have now signed uh, a motion of no confidence in the uh, Commons Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, after he broke with convention to call a Labour amendment on the SNP motion calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, Matthew, as a former Conservative MP uh, and uh, long-standing watcher of the House of Commons, can Lindsay Hoyle survive? I think it's difficult the problem for him, in a way, is that those calling for his resignation are SNP and Conservatives. The Labour Party, whether they've whipped not to do it or whether they just realise that they shouldn't do it, are not doing it. So if he does now carry on as Speaker, he will appear to have been saved by the Labour Party. And that's not a good position for a a Speaker to be in. I feel sorry for Lindsay Hoyle. I, I think he's a good man. I think he was doing his best. Um, he did make a very big mistake, that's the problem. And the mistake, Manveen, crucially, is that he said that he call, he broke with convention to call the Labour amendment because he was concerned about the threats of violence against MPs and so wanted to broaden the, the options on the table, essentially, so that people could vote for more things. But in doing that, what he's done is he's changed Commons procedure in response to the threats of violence. Yeah, He's not only changed Commons procedure, but, you know, given that he wanted MPs to have as many choices as possible, at the end of the day, they had fewer. You know, nobody got to, to uh, you know, you know the, the number of options they were actually allowed to vote on was, was hugely stunted by his intervention. I mean, the whole thing collapsed. It wasn't a good day for democracy. It wasn't a good day for, for Parliament. Um, and, you know, given the seriousness of the matters that they were supposed to be discussing, I think everybody, you know, the whole thing was so unedifying. And it does end up looking like either Lindsay Hoyle, out of a sense of partiality, caved into Labour, or he was just fundamentally played. He was manipulated by Keir Starmer. And neither of those positions make it, you know, make it viable, I think, for him to carry on. Um, he's, he's just been so weakened by it. But, you know, like Matthew, I have, I have huge sympathy. I can, I can imagine how it was done. I imagine he was you know, told that this was for the safety of MPs. And there has been so, you know, so many scares with people turning up outside um, Tobias Elwood's home. You know, there, there, there will be people saying you've got to be able to, as the Speaker, you've got to have um, the safety of MPs at, as part of the consideration. Now, you know, I can, I can understand how he would have been 
almost bullied into it, but uh, I, it was a mistake. It was a real mistake. To, to, and to, I don't know how he comes back. Two things, really. Uh, one, my Times colleague, Danny Finkelstein, is absolutely right. Uh, if the fear is of uh, intimidation, uh, violent intimidation from outside the House of Commons, this is actually added to the the, uh, the danger of that intimidation because uh, people who are inclined to, to picket homes or to make threats will draw from this the conclusion that if we do this, the Speaker will actually change the procedure of the House of Commons. So mm. it's it, 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 completely counterproductive. The second thing is that Keir Starmer has escaped any sort of censure at the moment. Now, it's not unusual for leaders of political parties or for the whips to try to bring pressure to bear on speakers. It happens all the time. You know, please, we don't want this motion to be put to a, a division. You know, look, look, at, um, look at the rules, look at the precedents. But, but Keir Starmer himself should have realised that the speaker wouldn't be able to get away mm. with, with, with mm. doing this. And that was bad judgement on Starmer's part. There's also a question of what would happen... You know, and obviously we hope it doesn't, but uh, if the war continues until the end of this year and by, say, December, Keir Starmer is Prime Minister and the SNP have an Opposition Day motion, what does Prime Minister Keir Starmer do to try and fudge things? You know, it, you, can't, you can't rely on the Speaker to help the Prime Minister out when you've got the, a possible split and rebellion on your back benches. It's yeah. not a great insight into Keir Starmer's ability to, to take his own party and to, to, to lead from the front. And if it was the case that uh, Lindsay Hoyle was sympathetic uh, to the Labour Party and inclined when things were in the balance to help them, that's actually made it more difficult for him ever to do that again mm. because people would be watching out for the next mm. time that, 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 uh, that Hoyle seems to favour Labour. And once Labour are the government, that would be very damaging for him. Yeah, it does seem like, a, like in the heat of it all yesterday, everyone's made some quite bad decisions. The other thing I was wondering, uh, Matthew, I'll ask you this is the same thing, Manveen, have we ever had a good speaker? Because obviously Burko <laughs> had all the same problem, you know, w was seen as, as basically bending the rules to help the Remain cause. Betty Boothroyd. Well, I was wondering, was Betty Boothroyd any good or was it just because Twitter didn't exist and people weren't obsessed with these <laughs> things the whole time? Matthew, you were there. But, but Betty was a bit of a self-publicist. <laughs> On the other hand, a speaker has to be a little bit of a self-publicist. On the whole, she trod the line quite cautiously and I, I, I think she goes down as a successful speaker though she made an awful lot of being the first woman mm. speaker I remember getting an entire parliamentary sketch out of watching her slip off one of her shoes which was too tight dur during a debate um, slowly slowly the heel came down she but everybody liked Betty Jack Wetherill a Tory speaker wooden but a good man and respected on all sides George Thomas uh, a a wonderful performer, a wonderful entertainer. Everybody knew his Welsh, order, order. And he became the, the, the voice of the House of Commons because that was when it was first broadcast. But no, whoever the speaker is, they're either going to be accused of being a, a show pony and of grandstanding, or they're going to be accused of being dull and wooden. And you just have to choose between the two if you're going to be a speaker. I wonder, though, um, it, Marvin, if part of the problem is that now... You know, if you, even if you go back to the Betty Boothroyd days, we didn't have BBC Parliament. 
Uh, at yeah. best, you might have caught clips of shenanigans on the telly, on the 6 o'clock news or the 9 o'clock news, whatever. You definitely didn't have social media. And ev- almost every single person who popped up in the comments yesterday had an eye on their own social media accounts. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think people um, want to be seen, you know, they all want to be able to, to come up with something which is clippable. They can then put out and show that they've been, you know, they've, they've, they've done a fiery speech in Parliament and the Speaker is having to balance all of that now. I mean, it's a much more complicated job. Um, but also, you know, as Matthew was describing, you, you, you have to remember the Speaker's role is essentially a very lonely one in Parliament. You know, you don't actually have... Um, you know, you, you don't have the protection of the political parties around you. you. You have to stand alone in the middle and make sure that you're always completely impartial. I think, it, you know, it must be an incredibly tough gig uh, at the best of times. Um, and, you know, this this just showed how badly wrong it can go. You know, if, if you were the SNP right now, you would have every right to say there is a massive democratic deficit at the heart of Westminster. You didn't, you know, you didn't get your go. Um, it, it's, it is incredibly badly done. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, apart from the clerk who clearly disagreed on this, you don't actually have very much backup as speaker. And I think that, you know, it, it can't be easy. And actually, if you, if, you know, if everyone had just taken a deep breath yesterday afternoon, if the clerk had said to the speaker, I don't usually do this, he could have then said, I've been advised I shouldn't do it. And, and then there'd have probably still been a massive row, but the speaker would have survived the day. Uh, 57 MPs have signed the no, no confidence motion in uh, the common speaker, Lindsay Hall. Uh, we'll, we'll keep that. We'll see that. Uh, keep. I mean, we're dangerous to go. Be one in ten of all MPs. Yeah, so, yeah. well, there must be about one in twelve so far. Uh, we'll see if he can survive the day. Uh, right. Let's turn our attention to something else now. Uh, a different conflict. Uh, Matthew, you've been to Ukraine. Yeah, just come back. Yeah. In fact, I I lugged coming into News International this morning. I lugged my uh, body armor with me. It's incredibly you heavy. See, Manvini's <laughs> come all the way from Ukraine. I yeah. know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I needed the body armour, it's just one of those uh, precautions. I, I, I found it very moving. Uh, I, I suppose uh, in terms of um, where a columnist stands, I've always been a little bit, well, we've got to be a bit careful about getting too deeply involved in this stuff in Ukraine. But I must say, having come back, seeing how brave people are, seeing how afraid, what I did was to talk to young people. I... I didn't talk to politicians. They'll always say the same thing. I didn't talk to generals. I'm I'm not a military expert. I didn't go to the front line. You know, we got Anthony Lloyd and other brilliant, brave war reporters there. I went to a school. I stood outside an agricultural college. I went into a a student bar and I I talked to young people. They are all terrified of the trenches. At the moment, you can't be conscripted until you're 27 the Ukrainian government is planning to bring it down to 26, perhaps 25. So if, if you're a student, you're looking now at a, a, a diminishing number of years before which you might find yourself in the trenches. And patriotic as they are, nobody wants to go to the trenches. I mean, would you? <laughs> no, exactly. I'm, I'm a little bit older than 27 as well. Um, uh, You'd have been actually conscripted by now. Yeah. Yeah. You might be dead. Yeah. Oh, I thank you, I think. <laughs> I we could find something for you to do. Um, uh, what was it, did the, it was interesting, I thought, reading your piece in your essay at the weekend, that the sort of the attitudes towards Zelensky and whether or not they would, you know, follow... Was he leading them? Was he following mm. them? The, the shine has gone off, uh, Zelensky. I don't think he's under any sort of threat. 
Uh, I, I didn't get that impression. But he's more and more being regarded as just another politician. And the fact that uh, he, he was a, a, a stand-up and a comedian is encouraging this sort of meme. It, it is a bit of a meme amongst younger people now in Ukraine that, well, obviously, this is a man who responds to the audience and if they don't like a particular joke, he drops the joke and moves to a new one. He, the, the dismissal of his top general, whose name I can't pronounce... Um, yeah, the Zalutsh. <laughs> Thank you. You should have come with me. You could have been my. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would have loved that. Yeah. Honestly, I would have loved that. Yeah, but that that hasn't gone down well at all, and it's kind of unnerved people. What did you make of it, Mammy? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a brilliant piece because um, you know it, it, Ukraine is such an unusual situation. Whenever we've known conscription in a great war in the past, it's sort of been the young who go off and fight. It's you know eighteen and over. Um, and this is that they've been very careful to try and preserve a sense of the future by not sending out the youngest. Um, but over time, we've sort of watched the age of conscription sort of get lower and lower. Mm. And one of the reasons Illusioni had to go was because he th- said it needed to be lower, you know, you need to go down to 25 because they are, frankly, they're running out of manpower. Um, they're running out of kit, which they're begging the rest of the world for, but the manpower can only really come from Ukraine. So there is now the prospect of not only younger people across Ukraine being conscripted, but, you know, people having to come back from parts in Europe. Um, You know, um, Anthony Lloyd reported recently about people who were trying to escape the country so that they were escaping conscription. But there's a real fear now um, uh, because they've now had two years to watch the war unfold. They've watched people dying in the trenches. And it's, I mean, the trenches are like something out of World War One. You know, there is nothing nothing glorious about being there and so much of it is down to chance you can't sort of even convince yourself you'll, you'll be a great warrior and, and things will go well people are being trained for a couple of months and being sent out to slaughter really um and it's there, there's just a real fear that they're just going to run out of people and Zelensky is losing a lot of support over this mm. um and his sacking of Zeluzhny was uh, you know as you say he is a comedian he plays to the audience he, he drops a joke when he realizes that they, they don't they don't like it but this was the one move he did which was the opposite uh Zeluzhny's poll ratings across Ukraine were higher than Zelensky's um there were you know people think maybe he was he was afraid of him as a potential challenger although they can't have an election while there's a war on anyway I mean you you, you couldn't you couldn't poll half the country because it's it's in a war zone. So there isn't actually a mechanism to get rid of Zelensky. But um, out of a sense of panic that perhaps Zeluzhny, you know, if, uh, it yeah. was was becoming more popular, he seems to have got rid of him, and that's gone down even worse. And the man who's replaced him doesn't necessarily have the confidence no. of the troops because well, yeah, he made yeah. terrible errors in Bakhmut. You know, he sort of he let a lot of soldiers die over a piece of land that people thought probably didn't need to be fought over. You know, could have been given over. And you would have protected more lives. So he doesn't have um, the same confidence that Zeluzhny had. And there's a real sense of of panic now of, of how this ends. Um, and, you know, we've sort of seen Zelensky turned up at the Munich Security Conference yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. last week begging for, for more weapons. Um, and if they don't turn up, it's hard to see. It's hard to see what, what goes well for for Ukraine now. Well, it was a great, it was a great piece, Matthew. People can obviously read it on uh, on the. It was a weekend essay, so if you are time subscriber, you look for the last last seven days and find it on Saturday. It was a great, uh, a great piece, and your your diary about having I mean, your teeth done was also very good. Uh, we're going to go. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> now, yesterday on the show, we were discussing the suspension of the MP for Blackpool South, Scott Benton. It's because he was caught up in the Times investigation. He was offering to take money and ask questions in the comments. 
Uh, so Ken got in touch to say, with all this focus on Blackpool South, I'm wondering what's happening in Blackpool North. It's being neglected. Can we have a briefing on Blackpool North, please? Well, who better to ask than uh, Nicola Adam, who's the editor-in-chief uh, for the North at National World Publishing, which covers Lancashire and Blackpool, which has been on many times to talk about what's going on in Blackpool. Hi, Nicola. Hiya, how are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. And no sooner had we suggested doing this, but there's some breaking news <laughs> for Blackpool North. That uh, the uh, um, the MP for Blackpool North, Paul Maynard, who is a minister, uh, Ipsa, the expenses watchdog, has launched an investigation oh, into uh, him. He's a pensions minister as well, uh, examining if he has been paid an amount under the MP scheme that should not have been allowed. What on earth is going on, Nicola, in Blackpool? Well, actually, I think this investigation did actually start in January uh, into into Paul Maynard's expenses and that he's broken potentially um, uh, broken parliamentary rules using taxpayer money to fund Conservative Party work and campaigning. That is the allegation that is being investigated. Um, he's he's defended that obviously very solidly um, and I guess we will find out when this investigation yes, concludes. Yes, yeah, this, this So g- give us some other news then from what do we need to know about Blackpool but particularly Blackpool North? I mean I do, I do agree I think Blackpool North has been a little left out of the news in, in recent days <laughs> and weeks potentially I mean which is very unfair because honestly it's all happening in Blackpool North and on the North Shore Um I mean, did you know, for example, that uh, the children's puppet character Sooty, um, Sooty the Bear, was originally purchased on Blackpool's North Pier in 1948 by the late comedian Harry Corbett. <laughs> so this year, uh, uh, he is back on tour to celebrate his 75th anniversary. The very same, um, the very same the one, presumably. <laughs> it's, it's the very same one. Well, actually, I think there is a few now, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm really honest. I think the original is is little, uh, you know, um, a bit now, little worn. Yeah, yeah, much like me. So yeah, yeah. Blackpool um, North. Yeah, so, Blackpool North is, is the is the part of Blackpool that journalists and politicians. Mm, I was going to say that. That's where they, the, the yeah. Winter Gardens. Yeah. Are. That's where the railway station that we all come to or used to come to. And I doubt there's many people in politics or journalism who don't have a bit of affection for yeah. Blackpool North. Yes, it's bit down at heel it's it's a bit in trouble um it's a bit tatty the winter gardens are no longer safe but um <laughs> it it was different and it was fun and there was so much going on there and the seafront and the wind and the trams i love blackpool do you think um <laughs> there'll be more focus on it if we came back for party conferences uh, uh nicola well i think i think definitely i mean there's there's a 350 million pound um a project called Talbot Gateway ongoing in Blackpool at the moment, right next to Blackpool North Railway Station, which involves, involves all sorts of things. There's a Marco Pierre White uh, restaurant oh. opening. Oh. Um, um, there's a new Premier Inn opening. There's um, there's lots of work going on, on the roads. There's new tram lines going in. And there's a, there's a big seven-storey office block uh, on King Street, which forms part of this. Um, and so it's all it's happening. Being, yeah, it's being built for civil servants, um, but it's being built specifically to reflect Blackpool's Art Deco architectural heritage. So <laughs> it's changing very rapidly. It's, it's all go, all going. It's Blackpool. all go. Finally, Manveen, have you ever been to Blackpool? 
Yeah, I used to have to do party conference there. Yeah, but, um, um, but you know, uh, the, the sound of a Marco Pierre White sounds very yeah. glamorous. Because I, I just remember, you, yeah, but I just, I just remember you used to have like cabinet ministers. Everybody used to go in Q and M and S because they didn't know where to go for lunch. Yeah. So. Manveen Rana and Matthew Paris. And if you want to listen to Manveen on the Stories of Our Times podcast, you can do that wherever you're listening to this. And if you want to read Matthew's dispatch from Ukraine, just hit on the link in the podcast description. Up next, how do you verify your voice? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Big Thing. The most prevalent form of crime now is fraud. It costs this country billions annually and is a terrible violation on a personal level. Every member of the House, I have no doubt, will know constituents who have suffered from this type of crime. And the Criminal Justice Bill contains several new measures to tackle fraudsters and the perpetrators of other serious crimes. That was uh, the Home Secretary, James Cleverley, speaking in the Commons, uh, announcing plans to crack down on fraud as part of the Criminal Justice Bill. She said now costs, what, the UK economy £2 billion just last year alone. And will AI make it worse? Will it be easier for us all to be scam- uh, scammed? I'm joined, first of all, by Simon Miller, Director of Policy and Communications for Stop Scams UK, which works with major tech companies as well as banks to help them create ways to stop the scammers. Just give us a sense of the scale of the problem then, Simon. Well, I think as we've just heard from the Home Secretary, the scale of the problem is absolutely huge. And part of the issue is it's not properly reported. So we know from figures published by UK Finance, based on consumers reporting into banks, that there's a minimum cost of about £1.2 billion each year. But that's in relation to APP fraud, which is when you, as a consumer, are tricked into making a payment. There are other estimates that put the cost at actually about £8 billion wow. to the UK economy. And there's even research that's been done by forensic accountants at the University of Portsmouth that put the cost at £219 billion, so multiple times the NHS budget each year to the UK. And what's driving that? Is it because uh, other forms of crime just aren't as easy or profitable? It's harder to steal a car now. You know, our homes are more secure. So if you want, if you want, if you're a criminal who want to get stuff that isn't yours, this is the way to do it? So that's exactly right. You've put your finger on it. If you look at the waves of digitisation that we've seen, we have an economy built on convenience and a fast payment systems. We are an open global economy. 
And that was hugely beneficial to us, throws open these massive opportunity to fraudsters who are not people ordinarily sat at home on their computers. They are part of these great big organised crime networks, often backed by hostile state actors, who are taking advantage of that, and taking advantage as well of our insecurities, our vulnerabilities in relation to world events. Well, I suppose in the good old days, so when you walked around and you had, I don't know, £50 in your, in your wallet, if, if a stranger came up and said, give us £50, you wouldn't do it. Whereas now, you know, phone calls, emails, mess, text messages... It's all virtual and you don't really know what's what. Oh, absolutely. Not just is it virtual. It's representing and it's impersonating things that are really real. So it may be your DPD delivery. It may be the parcel that you're expecting from Amazon. Someone pretending to be your bank and being incredibly convincing at doing so. And their ability to be convincing is only going to be enhanced by AI. Which brings in now uh, Sophie Tora, who's from the campaign group Control AI. Now, you... uh uh, can you explain how AI could be then be used by forces to make this make this uh, yeah, happen? So, I mean, deepfakes have been around for a number of years, in particular sexual abuse and all of that. But more recently, we've seen a massive increase in deepfake fraud, which is incredibly concerning. The stat from 2022 to 2023, we saw a 3,000% increase, and it's it's also very concerning for businesses. Quite recently, there was a case in Hong Kong where, after a series of so-called Zoom calls with the someone who, who thought was his CEO or colleagues, and an employee was um, led to hand over $25 million. <laughs> um, and it's not even an issue that's only hitting businesses. We've got personal fraud where people are receiving calls from so-called loved ones and are being frauded into handing over money. Um, so I think that's extremely concerning. So we've put this to the test with your help. Yes. Uh, so yesterday after the show, I sent you a clip of... Me just saying what I have for my breakfast and what yeah. I do on the show and just me chatting. And then you created an AI version of me. So this isn't, this is, it's not me taking no, part in this not, scam. Yeah. This is taking some, some audio from somewhere else. And presumably you could, you know, a scammer could do this given that people post it's things on so TikTok easy. or Instagram. A couple of minutes it takes. Find a yeah. bit of audio of someone. <laughs> And then you turn it into a script to try and scam someone. So yeah. we thought, who better to try and scam uh, than Lara Spirit, Times Red Box editor? She's on the show a lot, you know that. Uh, so I made a fake phone call to Lara Spirit, uh, and this is what happened. Hello? Hi, Lara, it's Matt. Hi, you're calling me on a no-caller ID. Uh, I thought the PMQ's email was good today. Uh, nice analysis. Wait, is this a fake call? Uh, can you do me a favour? I've left my wallet in the office and my Monzo on my phone has no cash on it. Um, could you transfer me some money and I'll pay you back? <laughs> of course, Matt. How much money would you... <laughs> Sorry, I know this sounds like a scam. Uh, if I give you my card details, can you do that? I'll pay you back when I'm back in the office. Of course. Of course. Lara, you've ruined it. You've ruined it. <laughs> um, unbelievable. I thought if anyone was, go- we thought if anyone was going to fall, of course you did. Sorry. <laughs> did she, was it okay? Sorry. Was it the slight delay before I pressed the first button at the beginning? Um, yeah, I think it was. It's, it's that you're you're very you you speak very like you get to the point very quickly. It was the delay. Hi, Lara, it's Matt. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, uh, was the big giveaway that I said, uh, I 
thought the PMQ's email was good today. Yeah, exactly. uh, was, nice yeah. analysis. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah the fake. The, the bit that got me was the the fake the fake affirmation that I've learned not to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Obviously, I'm joking. Obviously, you're very reassuring and lovely. Um, but yeah, no, I I think it was a delay. That was it. That's the only reason. <sighs> what a waste. We spent so much money having this done. No, we haven't. <laughs> be, surely there'll be, there'll, be, there'll be other people that, that will fall for it. Anyway, it does sound like me, doesn't it? It does sound... Wait, is it actually not you? No, so they've taken my voice from other clips and then used AI to create the sentences. Wow. So okay, li- that's, that is cool. So listen, is cool. To, listen to this bit. Sorry, I know this sounds like a scam. Uh, if I give you my card details... Can you do that? I'll pay you back when I'm back in the office. I mean, it does sound like yeah. me. It does sound like you. It sounds like a, it does sound like a voicemail of you, though. Like it sounds like you're saying things with too much intention. I think. <laughs> you know. Oh well. Well, it was worth a go. It was worth a go. <laughs> Thanks so much, Matt. And can please, 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 can you cut out that that aforementioned bit? Yeah, that's totally fine. It's totally fine. We'll, we'll cut out the bit where I say uh, I thought the PMQ's email was good today. <laughs> Yeah, we won't. We won't be putting that out. We won't put that. Lama, thank you so much for playing our doomed attempt to get you to give me money. Thanks, Matt. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Sophie, that's what happened. Uh, I think I wasn't quick enough on the old... I'm, not, I'm clearly not as skilled enough fraudster. But I was really struck how... Similar it was. Similar it yeah, was. Even the uh, uh, yeah, which like I do all the up, time. Yeah, yeah. So the structure of the way you speak. The way yeah, that maybe, I speak. Maybe, maybe. And presumably, with a slightly more adept uh, bit of scamming, you could easily get someone to... Most certainly. We actually at Control AI did something very similar a couple of weeks ago where we got a number of participants to come into st- studio, had never done any deep faking, took a couple of minutes, taught them how to do it, and then they called their loved ones. And it was so shocking, the amount of people that believed it to be true. Yeah. We had, you know, someone who thought they were receiving a call from a friend in distress that was willing to hand over money, a son who was willing to leave a door on that. So it's a personal security risk. There's so many risks with this. And I think more so the concern is it's no longer alleged, like a stranger calling you. It's someone who you think is a loved mm. one. And I think this is what is so scary about this technology. Um, and as, going back to the point you were making, Simon, is that because the whole world has become less personal, it's not, you know, for, to speak to your bank, you had to go into the bank. To speak to uh, a travel agent, you had to go into the travel agent. You had to go to the post office, the, you know, whatever. Whereas now, because all of the real people are at the end of a virtual WhatsApp message or, a, you know, your bank, you contact through websites and all of that, the, the, because the real people are distant and electronic it's much easier then for the fake people to mimic that you can't set up a fake branch of Santander in a high street but you could phone someone up pretending to be from there yeah so that's exactly right and I think what was so interesting about the clip that we've just heard was that Lara did exactly the right thing in response to that call she stopped she paused she thought hold on a minute there's something odd about this you're calling on a number that I don't recognize yeah and it made her think, is this a fake? And she did it really quickly. And that's what we all need to do. So that's how we as consumers, as citizens, can best protect ourselves. But in all of these interactions, think, was I expecting this? And if the answer is no, double-checking, pausing, thinking fraud, talk to a friend, talk to someone you trust, and then call back on a number or contact that institutional organisation through a means that you trust. 
and that's how we'll get around this. It's exactly the same advice that would apply in a pre-AI world. It applies just as much now. Dan has just been in touch. Matt, can we get the Matt AI to present the show? No, Dan. That's exactly what we're not going to do. But we are talking about fraud and how scammers can use AI to fake being you to try and rip off other people. I'm still joined by Simon Miller from Stop Scams UK and Sophie Tora from Control AI, who uh, set up the... Uh, the attempt to get Lara Spear to give me some money. Let's bring in now uh, Harry Wallop, consumer expert. Hi, Harry. Good morning, Matt. Uh, have you come across this? I mean, how are banks responding? Banks and other companies, I suppose. It could be anyone. You could be pretending to be John Lewis or you could be pretending to be, uh, you know, DPD deliveries or whatever. Yeah, I think we're just going to have to get used to the idea that vishing, which is the term for phishing via voice, which is what you were attempting to get money out of Lara was, uh, that vishing is the kind of the new phishing. So we've learned to be suspicious of, you know, those emails that end up now in our spam inbox from a Nigerian prince promising us wealth and riches uh, beyond compare. I, I think we're just going to very sadly have to get very suspicious about all sorts of voice calls. Uh, and, you know, banks have been moderately hot on this. Uh, you know, and sort of sending out reminders that we will never ask for your password and, you know, we'll never ask for personal information. If in any doubt, you know, put the phone down and call us back on on the number on the back of your your debit card. But but I think it will. Yeah, it will spread out, you know, and, and retailers and all sorts of people will have to kind of get a bit more hot on the topic. I suppose the point, Sophie, is that instead of, you know, me phoning someone and just saying, oh, hi, I'm from... Santander, could you send me some money? You know, I'm pretending to be a, just a random person from Santander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This technology allows you to pretend to be a just known someone person. Someone you know, and I think, yeah, yeah. that's, that's what is so scary, and so many people are falling for these calls. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's bring in Kieran Martin now, then, a former chief executive of the National Cyber Security Centre, which is part of GCHQ. And Kieran, we've, we've spoken lots before about the use of technology and, and, and the upsides and downsides of it. What uh, the government's told us in a statement, they're not complacent about AI-enabled fraud. But I suppose the the problems with these things so often, Kieran, is that the the fraudsters are always want you know by definition keeping one step ahead of law enforcement, of public information advice, and and what the law says. I think that's part of it. The other part is just the scale at which you can do this stuff. I mean, I was fascinated by the earlier part of the show and my old job, the head of the National Cyber Security Centre, is vacant at the minute. I think we should put Lara's spirit forward for it. <laughs> uh, one is she detected the scam immediately. But the second, which is a bit more subtle, she said something really interesting. She said to you at the end, Matt, I'm sure other people will fall for it. And that's the key to the cybercrime market. If you have, if you do it a hundred times, which you can do really easily, you can do it a million times pretty easily. And if half of 1% fall for it, then that's worth doing, even if the vast majority of the people have the same reaction as Lara. So one of the challenges with AI and fraud um, is that it lowers the barriers to entry to doing this. It makes it much, much easier. You know, it didn't take you and your team that long to do that pretty convincing uh, voice um, uh, fake. Uh, so it lowers the barrier to entry and you can get a bit more sophisticated. So that's why the real NCSC, whether headed by Lara or not, has said last month that it's almost certain that AI is going to sort of um, at least temporarily turbocharge uh, cybercrime. So it's a bit about, you know, fraudsters staying a little bit ahead. It's partly because a lot of them are based abroad, so it's harder for to send the police after them. Uh, but it's it's also just a function of scale. You know, you just put so much of this noise out there and hope that a few people fall for it. And because your costs are so low, it's worth doing for the criminal. And I suppose that, um, uh, Simon, that 
that idea of like, well, why do we, why do we get all those when we were getting those PPI text messages or the Nigerian prince email? You think well, who's going to fall for that? Well, because you can just do them blanket. You only need a few people to fall for it. It doesn't matter if lots of Lara spirits say, "Oh, I, I spotted it." Some people will fall for it. Oh, that's exactly right. So people fall for them already. AI is going to enhance our capability to make these things much more realistic. So what gets through and what is what what we receive as consumers will be so much more convincing. And you just need someone who is in a hot state for whatever reason, who's a bit panicked, a bit worried about something, and they're full for it. You know, all of us are expecting a parcel at any given point. <laughs> it's not surprising that some of us some, some inadvertently will then put in our details because we've got a message saying, your parcel's held up somewhere. We'll deliver it if you give us your details. Harry, um, the one thing that struck me with, with Lara is because she's like in her early 20s and uh, she obviously is deeply suspicious of anyone phoning. Uh, and I almost never phone her uh, because, obviously, despite having a phone in their pockets, most young people get terrified at the idea of the thing ringing. Older people, though, less tech-savvy, more likely to fall for this, Harry? Uh, yeah, absolutely true. I mean, though hardly anyone has a landline anymore, uh, lots of people do actually answer their mobile phones if they're over the age of 40, uh, as I am. Um, so, uh, I mean, that is actually one of the tips people are saying. Actually, you should you should get, you know, start screening calls uh, because, there's, you know, if they really love you, they will leave a voicemail, or maybe if they really hate you, and you can always, uh, uh, and you can always call them back. I mean, vishing is is happening it's not you know your one was unsuccessful uh, but it has worked you know astonishingly and not on the other side of the world in the uk there was a uk energy company whose name was never revealed uh, but the chief executive was persuaded to hand over 240 thousand uh, pounds to a voice generated ai uh, because he thought it was a supplier um, and of course because unlike some frauds you're not really covered for that because you gave authority for the bank for the money to leave your own bank account and go into another bank account. So it's very, if you can hack into someone who you know uh, has money um, available and, uh, you know, regularly pays invoices, then you can really target the crime and it works incredibly well. Uh, so that's the real worry. And then, of course, the you know, the, your, I, I was surprised how rubbish, actually, your interaction with Lara was, <laughs> uh, uh, or your, your, the fake interaction. But there will become a time quite soon when ChatGPT can have real conversations in real time. So that pause will, will go, yeah. and you'll be able to have a naturalistic-sounding reaction when she goes, you're trying to scam me. You can, you know, there'll be a, 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 a Matt or a fake Matt laughing, going, of course not. Uh, you know, and it will become, it won't be long before we'll get to that situation so what can we do about it? i don't know who wants to come in on this what can we do? do we have to like do verification like if you're logging logging into your is there a way of doing voice verification sophie anyone so it's a really interesting one lots, lots, <laughs> lots, of, lots of banks do have voice verification my voice is my password is a key part of how we identify yeah. with lots of organizations that will likely have to change yeah you know there's no doubt about that i think all of us should be just keeping our data, our devices much more secure, always have two-factor authentication. And to guard against the, the incident that we've just seen and we've been talking about of a deep-faked family member calling you up, maybe maybe trying to convince you to transfer money, always have some sort of safe password, something that only you and your family know. Uh, that's interesting. And you can always deploy in that circumstance. What's the password? And then you know. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a smart idea. It's a smart idea. So we had a statement from the Home Office. Uh, they said, while the number of AI-enabled falls are currently considered to be low, developments in artificial intelligence, large language models, like ChatGPT, as uh, I was talking about, can allow forces to create ever more persuasive fraudulent communications, email and voice calls. We're not complacent with this threat and are working with industry and law enforcement to ensure we identify these threats and respond robustly. Uh, artificial intelligence is all playing a key role in the fight against fraud, so as everyone's, you know, mobilising AI uh, on both sides. We are working with partners across government, law enforcement, the private sector to further drive the use of AI to tackle crime and protect the public. Um, Kieran, is this a, uh, a problem which can be solved by government under law or is it one of us taking more responsibility and not being stupid? I mean, it's a bit of all of the above i mean all of this is already illegal as I said earlier one of the problems is so much of it is committed in jurisdictions that are not subject to our laws and we don't have law enforcement cooperation agreements um uh, uh with them and you know that statement is fairly boilerplate i wrote hundreds of these things you know, with <laughs> blah 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 but you know i mean partly it reflects um the fact there's no single tool you can do i mean you talk in cybersecurity. there's a jargon called layered defense but it actually sort of means something so the government does do some things the NCSC, my old organization, takes down about 3 million scams a year. It just goes looking for them and it hunts them and it takes them down, you know, malicious websites, etc., digital infrastructure. Uh, the cybersecurity industry is looking at using AI to actually detect stuff like this and either block it or, or take it down. Banks have got more sophisticated systems for spotting um, anomalous uses of of, of money networks, if you're talking about hacking or spoofing a corporation, have got a bit more sophisticated, including things like access using multi-factor authentication. All of us should use multi-factor authentication of our uh, on our devices. But then the last bit, which has come up so much today, is a bit of the common sense uh, test. You know, you, you used it with Lara. Others have talked about, you know, having uh, trusted mechanisms within families. Another point that hasn't really come up, and it's not really AI, it's been around for years, but, you know, no reputable organization will ever ask you for payment via text message. It just doesn't, it, that's not what they do. So you yeah. should never spend money as a result of getting a text message. It doesn't matter how authentic it looks, just don't do it. So, you know, it goes all the way from the government doing some quite sophisticated operations. We saw a brilliant one from the National Crime Agency against some cyber criminals earlier this week, all the way through to people just knowing not to part with money if they get a text message and everything in between. It's fascinating. That. Um, uh, thanks for that, Kieran. Kieran Martin, former Chief Executive of the National Cybersecurity Centre, which is part of GCHQ. And like you said, he's right at the forefront of all this. Um, just, um, Sophie, in terms of... Uh, obviously, we don't want to tell people how to do it. How complicated is it to take what I said yesterday and turn it into the phone call with Not Lara. complicated at all. Like we said, we did it in a studio and it, you know, it's a handful of providers doing it and yeah. it, you know, it can be accessed by millions, yeah. but it's so easy. You can make a really easily, um, you can make a really believable one, yeah. is what I mean to say, in about five minutes. And actually, and I, do, I do think that probably the problem with the Lara one was the script that we wrote wasn't yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah. And actually, certainly. if we'd have thought, what we should have probably done is sort of, try out a phone call. How would a phone call go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And use that as the basis of the Because this script. is what scammers are really good at. Yeah. They make it sound so organic. Yeah. And that's why it's so easy to believe. And I think this is why the law definitely needs to be stronger on this. This is what we're campaigning for. Yeah. Um, because it shouldn't only be on us <laughs> to have to be so cautious all the time. But it's costing loads of money something. That's the key point. Is that, Particularly if you're banks, if you, you know, if you do something, sometimes you can get the money back from the banks or the banks will cover it and all of that. Um, but then that's ultimately still costing us all. 
Yeah, absolutely. It costs vast amounts of money. The banks are investing hugely in their systems, and the rules are going to change anyway. So mm. if you are a victim of a scam, after October, the banks will give you your money back. But all that is money out of our pockets, out of the economy more widely. Mm. I think what we need to get to is a point where we are actively using AI to tackle the problems with AI, and there, there's lots of progress happening in that space. And we need to recognise as well that we, what we don't want is a climate of fear. We need a climate of caution and responsibility. Yeah, and never, never, never answer the phone. Don't speak to anyone. Don't do anything. Lock Ig yourself up. Ignore your loved one being taken hostage and just stay indoors. But the, <laughs> <laughs> but the basic steps that we can take to keep ourselves safe yeah. are commonsensical. They are about pausing, taking the time, because time will always be on your side. Fraudsters will want to pressurise you into making a transaction that you otherwise wouldn't make. So by pausing, by taking that time to think about it, by having safe words, we can protect ourselves. Really interesting. Um, Harry, are you still there? Yes, I am. I just wanted to ask you about smart speakers as well, because um, this Oxford oh, professor in The Times says that, uh, told, um, well, told MPs yesterday, prominent people, famous people, shouldn't have a smart speaker, uh, because it has so much data on it, you could hack it and basically work, you know, work out their whole life patterns and then target them. But you, have you got one? Well, I mean, obviously, I shouldn't admit whether I have one or not. Oh, that's true, because uh, you are a but, prominent but, celebrity, powerful well, leader. <laughs> uh, well, I, leader. I, I, I do have one, uh, and I am fully aware that when the technology companies say, oh, they don't listen to you, that's a load of nonsense. Of course they listen to you, because they have to that's in order to... Yeah, they have to hear the wake word. Uh, they insist that they then, you know, delete everything up until the moment you say the wake word. Um, I mean, as with all, it's a bit like it's a bit like the same thing with phishing. It, it, yeah, if you want to be targeted, you can be targeted. Everything, any smart device is hackable. Uh, and you have to ask yourself, why do fridges and dishwashers need to be smart? Uh, and do, frankly, speakers need to be smart while we're at it? Well, if you're going to hack the dishwasher, if it means you can load it, then uh, I'm all in favour of it. I haven't got a smart speaker because Matt Hancock said not to. And I thought, well, if Matt Hancock's not got one, I shan't have one. Um, I don't know what he... Well, it turned out, now we know what he was trying to hide. Uh, Harry, always good to speak to you. Harry Wallop there, consumer expert. Also, we heard from Kieran Martin, former chief executive of the National Cyber Security Centre at GCHQ. Simon Miller from Stop Scams uh, UK. And uh, Sophie Torr from Controller AI. Thanks, thanks very much for trying to scam Lara, but I'm going to have to buy my own leg. Don't worry, it really is me. They haven't replaced me with an AI fake just yet. Don't forget, you can email me, matt at times.radio. Or, if you want to WhatsApp us a voice note with a question or a comment about the podcast you can send it to 0333 003 2353 that's 0333 003 2353 but for now for me matt Jolly, it's goodbye